welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back with our final preview from Group B, the Matildas group. We've spoken about Ireland, we've spoken about Nigeria, which means this episode is all about Canada. It's, you know, shaping up as the biggest game of this group. It'll be down in Melbourne on July 31st and... We absolutely cannot wait for it, which means we absolutely cannot wait to talk about Canada. We've got a special guest, as we have for all of these preview pods, and we can't wait to start talking to her. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this Canada episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, Angela Christian Wilkes, and Canadian football journalist, Harja Hall. So, Ha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, great to talk Canada with all of you. We're so excited to learn from you, but unfortunately, I would love if this chat was just about the football and the players and the game coming up, but that's not the situation at the moment. Canada's team is having a whole situation with their federation so can you kind of give us the too long didn't read about what's been happening with the Canadian team and their federation at the moment? Well it's uh, quite a long saga I'm not sure how much time we have this afternoon but basically they're they're fighting for basics basic treatment uh, more equality they want to have the same opportunities that the men's team had as they were preparing for the World Cup in Qatar. I don't. I know some of the fans and listeners know that Canada will not be having a send-off game, so that's quite rare. To they'll just head down to Australia, and then there's no opportunity for the fans to wish them well and send them off. So there's that. There's there's flying and how they get to the matches. There's the amount of training they have, the days that they have in camp, the amount of staff that they're able to have at these camps. So. It maybe it seems kind of maybe small issues just um, in the grand scheme of things, but when you kind of add them up, it's it's a lot of small things that really make a difference when you're trying to win and you're trying to prepare for a tournament. I know there was a lot ahead of the She Believes Cup earlier this year in the States, and that's kind of when it all came to a head. And so we've had parliamentary hearings here in Canada in the spring in Ottawa with some recommendations. And so it's kind of slowed. And so the, the players and the team will be traveling to Australia on the 26th and the camp starts on the 28th in Australia. So uh, we're hoping that they'll be able to play and be able to be at their best this, this summer in Australia. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's quite, it's been a real to do. It's been a mess and the players kind of just want to play football and get on with it. Uh, I've seen, um, thanks for joining us, by the way, I've seen some reports coming out of Canada that I think it was Christine Sinclair might have spoken to your, your newswire over there. Not full-blown, we're not getting on the plane without this getting sorted, but it, very much the vibe of we want this sorted before we get en route to Australia. Does it does it feel like it, it is going to get to that point or is it just going to be a something that hangs over Canada throughout the tournament? Yeah, Christine spoke to the Canadian press uh, recently. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think there'll be a cloud. It'll be around kind of hovering during the tournament. They want some remuneration. They want the compensation sorted for the tournament for the time they're at the World Cup. This is not so much as a, a long, big CBA agreement. It's kind of the short term. Can we get something settled and sorted before we go to the World Cup? And so they're, they're obviously talking. They're hoping to get something done. 
And I know there was some stuff out there as to whether they would get on the plane to go to Australia. I mean, I, I've, I'm, I'm confident. I think they will do that. I think they will travel down to Australia. So, um, yeah, I think they're kind of just hoping talks progress forward and able to have some sort of agreement where they can feel a bit more comfortable as much as possible ahead of the tournament. It Coming into the tournament, so obviously they're athletes, they want to win. Um, we talked quite extensively when we chatted with Alex Ibiceta about Spain and managing expectations there. Like, do you think as a fan of the team, is there the hope that Canada does well because you want them to do well? Like, but if they do well, then that's in contradiction to, well, not in contradiction, but it's going to kind of work against what they're trying to but sorry, this is very garbled. It's the morning here. Do you understand my question? It's like, if they do well, then it's like they haven't got the support and resources that they should have been afforded, but they're still going to succeed. So people can point to that and be like, well, they obviously don't need more stuff. What are they carrying on about? But if they don't do well, then that's a disappointment for them because they're athletes and they want to compete and they want to win. And they are a fantastic team. So I guess where do, where do fans and followers of the Canadian women's national team kind of sit in that tension? Yeah, um, I think the fans, they obviously want to see them do well. They're the defending Olympic champions. They want to see them go and have success in Australia and come back and win the World Cup. Hopefully, we'll see. But I think I think it just strengthens their point that they're able to go and have success and they're able to shine and get the best of their abilities in these difficult circumstances. I think they're succeeding and doing so well in spite of the Federation. And that's just not just the women's team. It's the men's team as well. So I think it just shows that they're able to continue forward and play well in even having these circumstances that are against them. What is the Federation's justification for this? Like, how do they defend themselves? Because the women's team in particular have been so successful in the last couple of years, winning that gold medal in Tokyo. They are extraordinary. They have some of the best players in the world. And yet the Federation continues to be assholes about this. Like what, what is their justification? Uh, basically, uh, oh, we would love to pay them, but we don't have the resources. We're not able to. And it's a lot of stuff that's tied up with the Canadian Premier League and the media rights deal that was signed with Media Pro. And so the money, their money is kind of tied up, so they can't pay as much as they would want to for the women's team and the men's program. So I think in order for that to change, they would probably have to rip up the contract with Media Pro, but then that would really jeopardize and hurt the Canadian Premier League. And so it's all intertwined, it's all tangled, it's a mess. So in order for one thing to happen, this has to happen, but then this could hurt that. And so it's, it's a mess and, you know, it's Canadians are seeing what's happening and they want a, the team to be successful and be supported, but it's just something big is going to have to happen in order for a change to occur. Just sort of following on from Angela's question before, how is the sentiment there that this is actually going to affect your campaign? Because we saw how Spain were affected in the Euros. You see whenever there's off-field you know, things like coaching changes, anything, it, it can really have an impact on your performance as much as teams try to block it out and say they don't read things. We all know that players read everything. We all know that they all feel the scrutiny and the pressure and those sorts of things. Are there genuine concerns that it could lead to, yeah, I guess I guess not going as well or maybe underachieving compared to what this team can do at this World Cup? 
I think there's a maybe a mix of that. It's hard not to say that that won't creep in or that won't be a factor. I know at the She Believes Cup, I was in the States covering the tournament and you would just see players of trading talking to us. You know, they were absolutely drained emotionally. They were spent having to deal with the Federation off the pitch and then play the games. But I think going into the World Cup, you don't want to say they're prepared or that they're they're facing this and so they're they're kind of getting on with it, but they have some experience, if you will, having playing in a big tournament and kind of getting on with it. So I think that it, it could be possible for some players maybe, but overall, I think I think they're in a better place now having been together as a group at the Steve Leaves Cup, kind of talking through what they're able to do and kind of be uniting. So I think it'll be a factor, but maybe not as big as what we saw earlier this year. I'm interested. Um, so the men's team are going through a very similar experience and process at the moment is there much overlap or solidarity between the men's and the women's teams in terms of trying to achieve just basically a better outcome for everyone or um because yeah I understand yeah that was the question there's no follow-up yeah sorry again the morning not for me uh yeah there's absolutely solidarity there's absolutely been support from the men's national team from the players there you know, the players, they all know each other, the women's team and the men's team. And of course, the coach, John Herdman, he used to coach the women's team. I don't know. People know that, right? So obviously, they're intertwined. They support each other. They want to see the best. They're fighting for some of the same things. So yeah, there's definitely support. It's not like, well, if you get this, we're not going to have this opportunity. So they're they're together. They want to see the best, not just for their, for their program, but for together as a whole for Canada soccer in this country. How far hard do you think Canada can go given all of this stuff? Because we've seen time and time again in Women's World Cups in the past where there are teams who are dealing with off-field issues who are really deeply affected in terms of their performances on the field. France is probably one of the best examples where they've had a generation of superstars, but they've just never been able to overcome those stressful moments off the field. Do you think that this is going to actually affect how far Canada goes? Like what's your sort of pick for what they can achieve? Well, I've seen that they're going to be going to Perth and apparently that's really far to go to. So they have, they have that going for them. Uh, I think the group's really tough. People are calling it the group of death. I think they will advance from the group so I can see them going through the knockout round. How far they get in the knockout round is anyone's guess to see who the crossover is, who they match up and who they play. Uh, in the last few World Cups, they've been able to get forward through the group stage, but then kind of not being able to go farther in the knockout round. So I think it, I think it could be similar. I think it could be challenging to kind of get to the semifinals and the final with what they're going on. We haven't talked a lot about the injuries that this team is facing. And so I think it'll be challenging, but they've been counted out before and they've gone and shown that they can win a major tournament. So it's exciting to see what this team can accomplish. Good segue there um, with the injuries. Uh, who's not there that Canada's missing and who is there that we should all be excited to see? Christine Sinclair will be there. She's very exciting. Uh, Janine Becky, she's going to be out. Unfortunately, she's a, a big time striker, a big time player for Canada. So uh, she won't be traveling to Australia. She's going to stay here in uh, North America and rehab and hopefully get back better and quicker sooner. 
there's some question marks as to whether uh, Deanne Rose and Michelle Prince and Desiree Scott will be able to go. Um, uh, Prince and Rose are coming back from uh, a torn Achilles, Achilles injury. And so I think Rose is definitely closer. Michelle hasn't come back and played in the NWSL yet. So it's a real time crunch. And then Desiree Scott has a knee injury and she's not back yet with her club team. So Bev's going to take all the days right up to the deadline to determine whether or not those three are going to go. And she said earlier this week that she it does not seem like they will all be on the final roster. So, you know, those are key important veteran players that make a difference. They, they know what to bring and they play a vital part of Canada's roster. So I think it could be tough. Um, there's going to be 25 players going to camp uh, next week in Australia. And so there's two cuts. So it'll be interesting to see does she want to go with the veterans who are recovering from injury or maybe take some younger players? So, yeah, injuries have been a concern throughout the, the year with Canada. And so hopefully they're fit and they're able to contribute as best as they can. Yeah, speaking of that, folks listening to this podcast are probably really familiar with some of the big names, Christine Sinclair, Ashley Lawrence, Kadisha Buchanan. But who are some of these younger, lesser known players that you think we are underestimating or that we should keep an eye on? Jesse Fleming. She's a wonderful player in the midfield. Amazing. She's a maestro with the ball. She's great on offense. She, she's doing penalty kicks for Canada now. So, uh, yeah, she's going to be fantastic. She's training here in Vancouver with Julia Grosso and Coach Bev this week before they head down. So those two, I would say, definitely keep an eye out. Um, I would say Canada's defense is, is vital to how they play. You know, they're not going to go put five goals past the goalkeeper. They're going to play lockdown defense, and give up very little chances. So you've got uh, Kanisha Buchanan, Vanessa Gilles, uh, Shalina Zadorsky, Chapman, Lawrence. So it's really about playing solid defense and then getting off on the counter and trying to get goals and getting free kicks and set plays. You know, they're not going to go past the ball around 50 times and score an amazing champagne football goal. They're going to play like hard-nosed, tough football, elbows out, knocking people around, tough tackles, and trying to get a one-nil victory. That's Canada's bread and butter, and that's how they get results. Just to follow up, you got a good look at the Matildas not too long ago. Um, it was the one both games over this way. Um, yeah, um, arguably, I think we've actually hit better form since. A lot of the players almost talk about it as a turning point, like they had, you know, they scored first in the second game, whatever. Um, but you obviously take a lot of confidence out of that heading into these games. And also, especially the performance of Jade Rose on Sam Kerr was one that really stood out. Um, how much heart do you take from that one, having such a talented young defender? I assume she's going, right? <laughs> that can lock down a player like Sam Kerr. And two, that you've come here on Australian home soil and got the job done twice. Because that's going to be the biggest game in that group. Yeah, that was twice, right? Twice? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think you definitely take some, some positivity out of that performance. Obviously, going down to Australia, I was definitely planned. They wanted to get adapted to the environment, what they're going to face uh, this summer. In terms of shutting down Sam Kerr, I, I don't think you can take too much from that specific performance, obviously different teams, different time, different setting, you know, the stadium's going to be packed to the rafters and they're going to be full cheering for Australia. So I think, you know, Australia's going to be tough to beat at home in Melbourne. So 
I think Canada is not, it's not just going to be Rose. It's going to be a whole team effort to try and shut her down and, and her teammates. So, yeah, you could take a little bit, but overall, I wouldn't read too much into that. And so I think that game is going to be the biggest game of the group stage for both teams. And so it's going to be maybe determining who tops the group and who's going to be in second place. So, yeah, that's going to be a, it's going to be a classic. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, fans are the stadium in Melbourne is quite a, a small uh, yeah, venue. And so pe- there's lots of people who are still on the lookout for tickets. It's going to be blockbuster. It's um, I'm so excited for that game. Um, this is a bit of a stupid question. So I might throw it at Anna and Sam and Marissa if they have any more serious questions about the squad before I get stuck in. I got, I got one more just um, because um, Kadesha Buchanan wasn't there for those friendlies. Is it her and Rose that you'd see as that starting centre back pair with, or would Zadorsky start, or who would who would be your your starting sort of defence? Because you got Sam Kerr, you got Caitlin Ford. Like there's a fair bit of uh, attacking weaponry. So this is my own curiosity after seeing how well Rose did. No, great question. I think the magnet starts. I think you go with Canada's top pairing of Vanessa Giles and Kadesha Buchanan. So they're who's they're the starters they're who probably going to shut down the opposition's top strikers in all the all the games so yeah I think those two will start obviously we need to see what injuries play and how the group stage progresses but they're Canada's top two center back duos obviously Rose and mm-hmm. Zadorsky they'll have an opportunity to hopefully contribute in this tournament but yeah I think you got to go with your best and I, I just, I just want to talk about Christine Sinclair for a little minute because sure. she is the most extraordinary player that the women's game has maybe ever seen. She's clearly a legend in Canada. She's the all-time international goal scorer in the game. This is going to be her last World Cup as well. How? I mean, I know you just, I know, but like, I wish that we could just like put her in a kind of like a robot suit and just have her continue to play for the rest of existence. But, you know, alas, she's mortal um, as much as we don't want to concede that she is. How, uh, how is Canada sort of getting around Christine Sinclair, especially in light of her memoir that was released not too long ago? Like how, how is the country sort of, uh, I guess, celebrating? How are they sending her off? Well, they're, they're not sending her off. She's she's still here. She's still playing. I think she scored a goal from Portland at the weekend. So <laughs> she's still kicking ass for Canada. They're not sending her anywhere, just to Australia for maybe a month. Um, yeah, she's a vital part of Canada's offense. She's the face of the program. She's the face of Canada soccer in this country. You got three games. You got three 90-minute games. I don't see her playing all of those games, all three 90 minutes. She's, she just turned 40 a couple weeks ago. I think they're going to be very careful. I think maybe we could see her play 60 minutes or early substitution. It depends on the game situation. But yeah, she's super dangerous. She doesn't need a lot of chances in the box to score a goal. You know, she's not going to go dribble through the whole team and score an absolute screamer. But, you know, she's great at finding position and creating openness and getting a shot off quickly and finding her teammates. You know, she can score off a set piece with a header. So she's very important to Canada's offense. And I think. You know, if she can get a few goals get going with Canada, I think they could be a very tough team to beat. I just got one more serious one before Angela's um, apparent silly question. Um, just Bev, on Bev Priestman, obviously um, would have been, must have been almost like a rock star in Canada after that first up 
coaching her for the Olympics. Um, but where do th- things sit with her? Is it like we're all in behind Bev? She's a star. Like she's obviously done great things with this team. Um, is there that faith that she can go and do special things again at another big tournament? I think, you know, Bev's a fantastic coach. She's really come in, you know, when they had a tough time uh, after the switch from Kenneth Heiner Moeller, and she's really excelled at taking the best of what Canada has with their defense and using that to her advantage. She's brought in some assistant coaches. She's really uh, focused on Canada and how well they play together as a team. And she's really motivated them. They feel very excited, very enthused to play. And I think she's a fantastic coach. She obviously worked with uh, John Herdman with the women's team here before she went to England. And then they obviously worked in New Zealand. So you have a lot of similarities between the two. And so it's a little different, obviously, but I think, yeah, she's been able to get the best out of the players and she's been a fantastic coach. And so, uh, yeah, she's a tremendous asset for the national team. Now it's too hyped up. Um, one of the most memorable things for me about those um, Australia-Canada friendlies was uh, Courtney Nevin and Adriana Leon not getting on. Okay. Um, and you've mentioned Canada like to play a very physical game. That's, that's the goal. So my question for you, if you were in, needed someone to defend you in a bar fight, who would it be from this roster? Who, who is going to really get in there and make sure that you're safe? Can I pick a, a member of the staff or a retired player? Oh, I love, I want to hear where that goes. Let's go. Yeah. Obviously, Melissa Tancredi. I mean, who wants to mess with Melissa? She's a great player. She's a legend for Canada. She's obviously works with the national team. So yeah, tank all the way. That's a good choice as well, because then it's also not affecting your chances on the field. Um, Because if she gets a a bit beaten up or whatever, it's not. Yeah. And she hasn't even tank. Like, who's going to mess with someone called that? I mean, you'd have to hold back Adriana Leon, I reckon, still. But yeah, she scares me. Um, But I love her. She's my favorite, but she scares me. Okay. What a note to. And that's all. Um, our last question is always, who are you picking to actually win this World Cup? Canada. I love that. I love that. I love the confidence. Um, we can't thank you enough for jumping on. We've had so much fun. Thank you so much. Where can people find your work if they want to read what you do? Yeah, um, I'll be down in Australia in less than a month. And so I'll be writing for Equalizer Soccer, a little bit for Daily Hive and a few other publications. Uh, you can find me on the old Twitter machine at Hard Journalist. So uh, you can tweet me, or you can read my stuff. So yeah, I'll be down there and looking forward to getting started there. We cannot wait to see you. Thanks, welcome. <laughs> oh, but it's a question that can wait for after the recording, but I was going to ask if you're going to be based in perth um which is no okay that's <laughs> it's like the moncton of australia anyway two, two games in melbourne Have you where else would melbourne? you rather be no she hasn't no we just 
we all remember what happened in Moncton in 2015. It was kind of a big deal for Australia. <laughs> um, I have a question for you guys. How do you think the group's going to play out? Who do you think's going to top the group there? I mean, I think we all think it's Australia and Canada 1-2. One, 1-2, two, one, two, just, just the order. 1-2, it is. I've become more confident about Australia topping the group more recently, and that's purely based on form. Um, but I still think it's going to be tough. I still think it will likely come down to that last game, to be honest, that last bar fight. Ha, thank you for joining us. We've absolutely loved having you on. And as always, thank you all for listening. We've now completed two groups. We have six groups to go and we've got so much fun stuff coming your way in terms of preview pods. So we can't wait As always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, subscribe so you're getting all of these pod episodes directly into your podcast place of choice. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see you.